All right, Rabbi, we'll say good morning. Let us begin, Bar Hashem, a lot to do today. Begin by thanking all of our Shear sponsors. So thank our Talmud Torah sponsors, Paul and Kathy Pollock, for dedicating the Shi'urim this drushes this month in honor of all of their grandchildren. May they merit Hashem grow to become the best version of themselves. We thank our, our Talmud Torah sponsors, the Chevra uh, from the Daf Yomi Shir, for dedicating all the Shurim and Drashos this month. In the Schuss of Rufur Shlimer for Yehuda ben Michal, son of our devoted Shir, Magid Shir, and Shir member of Kalman Akiva Kovacs. We hope that he has a Rufur Shlimer Bakarov. To thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Bill and Razi Eskin, for dedicating. The Shi'urim Muzeicher Nishmas, Bill's father, Mordechai ben David, raised his mother, Tzivya Bas Moshe Aaron. And to thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Milton and Melanie Gertner, in honor of the 10th anniversary of many members of the Shir who began the last cycle. Really, it's been 10 years, today's the 10-year anniversary? Wow, incredible. 10-year anniversary of our Shir, Baruch Hashem. Many thanks to all of the Magide Shir, and also a thank you to the past, present, future members of the Shir who give us chizuk and show up and learn each and every day. Wow, a beautiful, beautiful milestone. Thank you, Milt, for, uh, for reminding us. And Emerson, we should be to learn together for many, many years to come. And those who are dead, let us begin. Today's daf is daf Chav Ches, but you would not know that from where we are starting today. So I'll say we are picking up on I'm with base, but it's going to go quickly. 27B. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's true. It's true. 27B. 27B, and we are picking up at the two dots. Ba'afilu shivcha I'm sorry. It's right across in Tulsa's Amar. So remember again, just to orient ourselves a little bit. So we're talking about over here in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah that we saw about a year. Excuse me, a city. That was surrounded by that was surrounded by a, an invading army. So there's an assumption that the women inside of the city are violated. Halacha a woman just is not a woman. If a woman makes the claim that she wasn't violated, that claim by itself would not be enough to attest to the fact that she wasn't violated. But halacha lamaisa, the Mishnah says, if there's an aid echad, if there's an aid, even if the aid is a shifcha, a maid servant, then ultimately again that is, that is enough. To solidify the woman's status. So the Gemara says, really? Is it true that even a woman's own shifcha is believed? Or meaning, is the question the Gemara says. We'll say, just to give you context of this case over here. The aloha that we're dealing with is, a man gives his wife a get. Rashi points out over here, this is what's called a get, a get shchidira. A man is on his deathbed, he gives his wife a get. Now, again, what's the point? Now, this get is going to be chal retroactively a moment before he dies. So he's giving her the get now, it'll, it'll take effect a moment before I die, retroactively, put a retroactivity clause in a get. And the whole point of this is to save her from yibum. Save her from yibum. The haloch is always saying that after he gives her this get, he's not allowed to be alone with her. Because the concern is you get into a situation of what's called a get yashan, an old get. So the Gemara says, Lo after he gives her this get, he's not allowed to be alone with her. Of course, unless there are witnesses. In other words, if there are witnesses, there are witnesses, then of course they're not alone. But technically speaking, if there are witnesses that who could attest that Allah Maisa, nothing occurred between the two of them, that would be fine. So the Gemara says, 
Obviously, the exception is her maidservant would not work for these purposes. Why? Now we'll say, because a woman is very comfortable around her own shivcha. What does that mean? See, now we'll say, what's the point of having edos? The point of having edos is, if the husband and wife are alone, and ultimately, again, there's someone else there, they're not going to have relations with each other. The concern, the Kimara says, is that a woman is very comfortable in front of her maidservant, and would even feel comfortable engaging in relations in the presence of her maidservant. Therefore, the maidservant does not go ahead and serve as a deterrent. So you see from here that a woman has an especially close relationship with her own maidservant, and therefore, her testimony shouldn't count. Rapapi says, no, you're right. In general, that's true. But remember, we've seen this already a number of different times, that by Shvuya, in this case of captivity, again, this is not literally captivity, but we, we kind of put this under the umbrella of captivity, Chazal or Mako, and allow you to even believe the testimony of her maidservant. That's Rav Papi's position, that this is a unique leniency, a unique leniency, ultimately, again, by Shvuya. Papa Papa says, that Papa says, oh, it depends who's maidservant. When is there no credibility? That's with her own maidservant. With his maidservant, ultimately, again, she could serve in this Eidos capacity. Is that true that her shivcha is not believed? A person in general is not permitted, is not believed to go ahead and give testimony on their own behalf. However, ultimately, but her shivcha would be believed. So both say that would seem to indicate that her shivcha does have credibility. Now both say a woman's shivcha is like an extension of herself. So once you begin to see Chazal painting this picture, that there is this close relationship between a woman and her maidservant, and therefore in issues of testimony or credibility, the maidservant is no different than the woman herself. Ravashi Ravashi says, Hava Hava Shifchadida. Ravashi, so Ravashi gives an interesting interpretation. He says, he rejects this idea that some cases are talking about his maidservant, her maidservant. All the cases in question are talking about her maidservant. Now, I say, this is fascinating. Mechsa chaz, says, Mechsa See, I will say, what's the problem with a shivcha? A shivcha sometimes will see things, but will remain silent. Or remain silent. So she'll see something, and she won't testify, or she won't say anything about that which, that which she saw. So hasam, in the get case that we saw before, we're simply remaining silent. Ultimately, again, is what permits the woman, the shivcha is not believed. But in our case over here, again, of the, of the surrounding army, of where we're concerned that she was violated, in our case over here, where if the shivcha is silent, shivcha is silent, then remember what happens. The chazaka that the woman was violated sets in, and she'll become prohibited. So therefore, again, I'll say when the shifcha goes ahead and gives testimony, ultimately she is believed. I says the Gemara hashdanami asyo mishakra. Why shouldn't we be concerned over here that maybe she's going to come and she's going to lie? She's going to say my mistress wasn't violated when in fact she was. I'll say this is incredible. Tarti lo avda. I'll say the 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 meat servant will not do two things. We'll say, what does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. This is actually incredible. 
Bikilkula, Vaudetisi with the Shekhar. I'm sorry, by the way, we're concerned that Rush is going to lie in the get case. Well, let's say we assume like this a maid servant is not going to do two things. In other words, she, she doesn't remain silent and ultimately what? Also lie. In other words, what a Shifcha will do is in part of her, in part of her capacity as a Shifcha, she'll see stuff and what? And what? Keep quiet. She won't say anything. But she's not going to lie. That's not, so in other words, I will say it's interesting. She'll, she'll lie, I guess what we'll call like, what are the, how do they term it? Lie by omission. Like she'll lie by omission or she'll lie by silence, but she will not go ahead and actively share an untruth. That's Tartilo Abda. We'll listen to this story. This is an incredible story. Mari Bar Isik, Bar Isik. So it was a guy. It was a guy. Mari Bar Isik. Some say his name was Chana Bar Isik. And what happens? Listen to this. So Asa Le'achami Bechoza, Amrle Plog Li Benichse Abba. So we'll say, here's the context of the story. Look at Rashi. It's almost, it's, it's not so far. It's across and a little bit up. So we'll say, this guy, we'll just go with Mari Bar Isik. Mari Bar Isik is living his life. What happens? One day, a guy shows up claiming to be his brother, Mari's brother. So I say, look at Rashi. So I say, here's the case. Mari's Mari's father. Mari's father. Let's take a step back. Mari had a brother. He did have a brother, right? His parents. I don't know what happened. Maybe his parents divorced. The father relocated. Father went to live somewhere else, specifically again in a place of Chozal, right? Father went to Bey Chozal to go ahead and live with his brother. Mari lost contact with his brother, okay? Father dies, father dies. There's an estate to be divided. Guess who shows up? Guess who shows up? Mari's brother, right? Mari's brother shows up and says, Hi, Mari, I'm back. So sorry to hear about that. Let's get down to business. Let's split the estate. So what happens? Mari says, who are you? Who, who, or in other words, okay, Shalom Aleichem, you're claiming you're my brother. I don't recognize you. I don't know you. So the Yimara, so they brought the case before the Chista. So Moses says, here's what you have. You have the brother, the quote unquote brother. And what is the brother claiming? What is the brother claiming? What is the brother claiming? Faith will call it 50% of the estate or whatever, some portion of the estate. Mari claiming, listen, I just don't know who you are. I just don't know who you are. So they come before Avchista. So Avchista says to the brother, Mari saying good. He's saying he does. He doesn't recognize you. After all, the chsev vayaker Yosef esecha vehein lo kiru melamishiyatza belo chasimazak. Rabbi Baba chasimazak. So Rabbi says, what happened? The pasuk says, right in in Bereishis that Yosef has beca- had become the viceroy of Egypt. Yosef recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. Why did they not recognize him? Why not? Because he left as a young man, literally translated, he left without a beard, and now he had a beard. In other words, Yosef left the familial home when he was a young boy, 17 years old. So the said, now he was a man, so they just didn't recognize him. The point, the point that Rav Chisla was trying to make was what? Was what? That it's possible for brothers who are really real brothers not to recognize each other. It's possible. To which the Gemara says, so therefore Rav Chisla says to the brother, Amr zil aisi sahadi you have to produce witnesses, you have to produce witnesses that you are really Mari's brother. That's what you have to do. So in other words, Rav Chista was saying, brother, the burden of proof is upon you to prove that you're really Mari's brother. Amr so listen to this. So the brother says, 
Isli Sahadi, Umistafino, Umistafino, Mine, Digavra Almavu. I have witnesses. Here's the problem. My witnesses are scared to show up and testify in based in why? Because Murray was very powerful. Murray was very powerful. And so they're scared that if they come to go ahead and testify in based in, that there's going to be some type of negative reciprocity upon them. So Amrle, Amrle Lidide, Zilai Sinu Aat Delav Achochu. So I say this is fascinating. So Rav Chista turns to Mari and he says to Mari, okay, Mari, you have to bring witnesses that this guy is not your brother. So Amrle, Dina Hachi, Shabbat says, it's interesting. You can imagine this discussion. Mari says to Rav Chista, like, I mean no disrespect, but are you sure that's the halacha? After all, Hamotzi Mechavera Allah Haraya. Rabbi say, the truth is, this is like an open and shut case. This really is an open and shut case, right? At, at, the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, guy is showing up, brother showing up, saying, hi, I'm here, I want 50% of the estate, right? Murray, you take him at his word that he doesn't recognize the brother. Okay, in general, in halacha, whenever you want to extract money, the burden of proof is always on the extractor. So now Rav Chista comes along and totally flips the responsibility and says to Mari, no, the burden of proof is upon you to prove that this guy's not your brother. First of all, I will say, if you think about that, the, the, the threshold of proving someone is not your brother is definitely higher than proving someone is your brother. Right? In other words, I will say, what, what, do I, what do I need to prove that someone is my brother? I guess the truth is it's not so far off. What do I need to prove that someone is my brother? Right? I need to prove really my paternity. Right? My brother and my father. At least my father. This is Yerusha. So I guess to prove that someone is not your brother, you'd have to prove that someone other than your father is that person's father. Okay. The point that Mari says is, Avrista, that's not the halacha. So I'll say this is actually fascinating. Amrle, hachi de'inina lach ulakulhu almi chaverach. Hashtanami aserosei. The Gemara says, Rav Chista says, the truth is you're right. But this is what I do for you and all of your friends like you. I will say, what does it mean you're for you and your, for all of you guys? So our business is Murray, you and all of your wealthy, powerful friends. This is the way it has to work. And I will say, Rav Chista wasn't being punitive over here. What Rav Chista was saying is, there's a problem. Because people are reticent to come and testify against wealthy, powerful people out of fear of reciprocity. So Rav Chista says, in these kind of cases, there's no choice but to flip, but to flip the onus. So I have to place the onus of responsibility upon you, Rami. And therefore, again, you have the obligation to go ahead and, and furnish the egos that this guy is not your brother. I, the Gemara says, Hashtanami, Asu Mashakri. Aren't we concerned over here also that witnesses will go ahead and show up and lie? In other words, it will say, if we've established that people are afraid of Mari, and people are afraid of this guy, Murray, because he's wealthy and because he's powerful. Aren't we concerned that witnesses are going to show up and lie? To which the Gemara says, Tarti lo abdi. So well, this is actually very interesting. The Gemara says, in general, we're not really scared that witnesses come and outright lie. What we're normally nervous about is that people know testimony and just don't say anything. That, that's what we're nervous about. They have, they have information and they just omit or they just remain silent. But to be concerned 
that halacha lemaisa they actually go ahead and actively lie that we're not so concerned about. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, "So lema ketanai." The boss says, "Must be a machlokes tanai." Here we go. So the Gemara says, "Zu edos ish zu zu." Then in this case, the boss say, "In this 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 edos." Rashi says over here it refers to the edos of shavuya. Remember again, in our topic right now, what we are discussing is under normal circumstances. If a city is surrounded by an invading army, there's a chazaka. What's the chazaka? That the women inside of the city have been violated. That's the chazaka. So the Gemara says, however, you could have Eidos, someone could testify on behalf of the woman that she has not been violated. So the Gemara says, Zu Eidos, this type of Eidos, Ish Isha, a man could give it, a woman could give it, Tinok and Tinokes, children, Aviha Ima, even her own mother or her father, Vaachio so her brother. Or her sister, but not her son or not her daughter, and not her servant or her maidservant. So I will say, here you have a Brisa that says, the maidservant is not believed. Another Brisa that says, everyone is believed to go to testify on behalf of a Shuya, except for the woman herself and her husband. So the Gemara says about say, so, this, so, so the second Brisa says that even who's believed, who's believed? A shifcha. To which the Gemara says, you're right, Rav Papi, Rav Ashi, Tanoi. They both say, based on the opinions we mentioned before of Rav Papi and Rav Ashi, they would agree that this is the Machlokes Hanan. Rav Papa, Mile Matanoi. Would Rav Papa agree, we'll say, first wide line, Chavzayin of days. Would Rav Papa hold that it's a Machlokes Tanoi? Amalcha Rav Papa, Kitanga Hahib Masih Halafi Tuma. Oh, they both say, here we go. Rav Papa says, it could be that there is a situation of a shivcha where the shivcha would be believed, her own shivcha. When? Rav is saying the concept of Masiach Lefitumah. We've seen this already a couple of times. What's Masiach Lefitumah? See, Rav Papa there's a difference between when a person gives directed testimony, right? A person shows up and they say, I'm here to act in a testimonial capacity, versus when a person just shares unsolicited information. That's called Masiach Lefitumah. I'm just conversing. There is a power in halacha to masiach lefituma because since it's unsolicited and a person is just giving information of their own volition, there's a certain inherent level of credibility that's attached to that statement. So the Gemara says, listen to this. Convey the Maisa, Balafne Rebbe, some say came before Rebbe, but Adam Echashem Sechlefitumo. There was a guy, there was a guy, and this guy was just conversing. What was he saying? But Amar, Ani Veini, me and my mother, my mother and I, the Shpino Levena of the Kohavim, we were taken captive. Yatsasi the Shodmaim, when I would leave my mother to go ahead and draw water, Daiti Al Imi. I was always had my eye, literally my mind and my mother being, I was always vigilant regarding my mother. The lakate ate him to collect wood, daiti al imi. I was thinking about my mother. I would say, what, what, what was the son saying over here? What was the son saying? That I never let my mother out of my sight the whole time I was in. I would say, here's what's interesting. The, what happened? The si rebi lekunafiv. Rebbe allowed this woman, apparently her husband died, right? Rebbe allowed this woman to marry a coin based on the testimony of a son. Now, I was saying, we just got finished saying what? Then normally the testimony of a son is not believed, bless you, is not believed to go ahead and, and maintain the kasha status, or maintain the status of his mother. Yet I was saying, so why is the son believed in this case? Why? Masiach lefitumo. 
Surah Basar, which you begin to see, and this is how the Gemara ends, is that there's grounds to say that her own maidservant should not be believed. Because since there's a very close relationship between a woman and her maidservant, there's a concern that the maidservant may lie, may, may, may omit, may lie on her behalf. But what we begin to see, and therefore, again, there's a whole group of people whose testimony is not believed. But also, it's fascinating to see is that even in situations where someone's testimony is not believed, if the testimony is not testimony at all, rather what? Rather what? Information, which is just conveyed in a normal course of conversation, it can be accepted as credible evidence as well. Incredible. Mishnah. said, Literally, again, I swear by the base of Mikdash. I swear by the base of Mikdash. So I said, listen to this story. Rabbi Zechari ben Akhazah was living in Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim era Kodesh. And there were, there were invaders. Right? There was an army that came in and invaded Yerushalayim. Rabbi Zechari ben Akhazah is testifying about his own wife. And he's saying, literally, I held her hand. I mean, that's only literally, but I held her hand the entire time. From the time that the invaders came into the city until they left. What was he testifying to? What was he testifying to? My wife was not violated by any of the invading soldiers. She was with me the entire time. So the Gemara says, Amrulo ain adam meyid alatzmo. They said to Rabbi Zechariah ben Akasov, ultimately again, a person cannot testify on his own behalf. The idea being ishto kikufo, one's wife is an extension of themselves. And the same way that I'm not generally believed to give aidless regarding myself, she says Rabbi Zechariah ben Akasov said he's not believed regarding giving aidless about his wife. So the Gemara says, Tana, this is incredible. So this is pretty wild. So remember, Rashi points out a very important piece of information over here, which is, Rabbi Zichari ben Akatsav was a Kohen. He was a Kohen. So I say, what's the halacha at the end of the day? What's the halacha if the wife of a Kohen is violated? What's the halacha? The halacha is she is a suratim. So I will say, Again, I just want to point out, like, we're reading this story just in a, in a little bit of, like, a halakhically detached way. But what a, what a, what a tragic story. Here, here it is. Here it is. Rabbi Zechariah ben Akhatsov, right, in Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim Yerak Kodesh is invaded. And he's testifying about his wife. She's Tahora. Her hand was in mine the entire time. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. And again, the halakhic process is the halakhic process. And they say to him, look, we appreciate what you're saying. But that's not the kind of edos that's going to help. So therefore, we'll say, what happens? Rabbi Zechariah ben Akhatsav and his wife can no longer live together as husband and wife. She becomes forbidden to him. So the Gemara says, we'll say, it's just incredible. The Gemara says, Tana, the Afapikin, even though they could not live together anymore as husband and wife, she had her own home in his chatzar. In other words, we'll say, this, he did not want to dissolve the family unit. He didn't want to dissolve the family unit. So they couldn't live together as husband and wife. But apparently they will say, it sounds like they didn't divorce either. That's what it sounds like. They just didn't live together. And ultimately, again, she had a home in the Chatzar. She had a home in the Chatzar. Right, the Gemara goes on. Kishi Yotza, when she would leave, Kishi Yotza, Yotza, Barosh, Barosh, Barah, Ukishi Nechneses, Nechneses, Besof, Barah. 
So we'll say literally what it means is when she when, when they would be leaving the house, she would leave before the children, and when they were all together, and when they, they would come back into the house, the children would come in first. What's the idea? The idea being is they wanted to avoid yichud. Rabbi Zechariah and his wife could not be alone together because there's an Isra yichud. You're not allowed to be alone with any woman if the woman is prohibited to you. His wife was prohibited to him. So the Gemara just says they had to make sure to always have the children present. Always have the children. Let's say, I'll just point out that, you know, the power of a story like this is that sometimes when, when we have Chorba, like when Kalei experiences destruction, so the destruction is felt long after the enemies leave the city. There's collateral damage. There's always collateral damage. And I'll tell you, like, Lahavdil, Lahavdil, they have studies upon studies of children, second, very first generation and second generation offspring of Holocaust survivors. So I remember my, my mother, she lived me well, told me that when she was a child growing up, she had a kinder class. I was born in the DP camps after the war. When they came to America, she had a child in her class who always wore shoes that were two sizes too big. No, like, like no, no, no one understood it. No one understood it. So it, it turned out everybody was survivors. You know, during the war, during the war, if you didn't have shoes, you were done. So the parents, the parents of this child had a chachma. They said, you know, may, maybe someone like the Nazis, they're going to come back again. This way, if my child has shoes that are big right now, if they have to run, they have to flee, they'll have room to grow into the shoes. Let's say you think about, like, what does it mean to be a child who always wears shoes? I know, in the grand scheme of things, wearing shoes that are too big doesn't seem to be like, but, but there's baggage. Even once the invaders leave the city, once the invaders leave the city, there's collateral damage that continues to play out over the course of years. What a tragic story. What a tragic story. Rabbi Zechariah ben Akadzev and his wife lose their ability to live together as a normal family. Right? Why? Because of invaders in your shoes. It's just overwhelming. I would say, to their credit, if you begin to see something amazing, is that sometimes within a marriage, within a marriage, you just kind of figure things out for the sake of the kids. Right? Sometimes, again, things aren't perfect. Things aren't perfect, but Lamaisa, there's a responsibility to a mishpacha. Pretty incredible. Boya, 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 brings down. Malos, malasas, begrusha. I, what about, so I say, this is a case, just want to point out. So the unique, unique aspect of this case is, Rabbi Zechariah and his wife are married, right? She's Asura to him now. She's Asura to him now. They're not divorced. So they're still married. They're not allowed to live together. So they have to avoid Yichud. Okay, would this work in a divorce case? Let's say a couple gets divorced. A couple gets divorced. But Lamaisa, they want to co-parent effectively. So they have this great idea. What's the great idea? Let's live together in the same chatzar, right? Not, not in the same house, not in the same house, obviously. So, so can you go ahead and do this with a grusha? Rashi says, So I will say, this is a coin. Now, why is Rashi framing this as a coin who divorces his wife, right? Why? Because let's say he can't remarry her. As opposed to, remember again, if Yisrael divorces his wife, as long as she had not married someone else in the interim, he, you could remarry your divorcee. A Kohen can't. A Kohen divorces his wife. Okay, we want to co-parent effectively. It was an amicable divorce. So can we live together in the same chatzar? So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, Hasam hu hekilu So we can say, maybe not. Maybe this is dafka akula by shvuya. 
right? This is a kula, like we have many kulas, but this is another kula, but in a case of divorce, no. Maybe no. Maybe again, as long as you're careful to avoid yichud, it should be okay. So Tashma, let's analyze this sanya. If a man divorces his wife, that was actually an interesting case. If the woman remarries, right, the remarried wife should not live in the same neighborhood as her ex-husband. It's a concept like this, that a divorced couple, once she is remarried, should not live in the same neighborhood. What's wrong with that? Look at Rashi. Because we'll say, Chazal work is like this. Once a couple was married and had an intimate relationship, so even though now they're divorced and they are remarried, right? The woman's remarried in this case. So we're concerned that if they live in close proximity to each other, that could reawaken the feelings of intimacy. So therefore, interestingly enough, once she gets remarried, they should not live in the same neighborhood. Top of Chavchas, Vimhaya Kohen, they both say if he was a Kohen. Now, again, remember, the distinction between the Kohen case and the Israel case is this halacha is only triggered by a Yisrael when, when the ex-wife remarries. Because now she becomes a surah to her husband. By a Kohen, the Isra is triggered when? When? Immediately upon divorce. So if it was a Kohen, then even if she didn't remarry, but they're divorced, those Sidar Imo Bimavui, they should not go ahead and live in the same Mavui. Rashi says, Shema Yavu Allah, Kohen Asa Begrusha. Good. Ve'im Haya Kfar Katan, what happens if it was a small village, a small, right? A small village. So Zehayim Aisa, Ve'amru Kfar Katan Nidan Kishkuna, that a small village ultimately again is like is like a neighborhood. It's like a neighborhood. So we'll say, so you begin to see something very interesting, which is that halacha lamaisa, what Rabbi Lazar, what, what Rabbi Lazar ben Akatsa, excuse me, what Zechariah ben Akatsa did, living with his wife, who was a suratim in the same, in the same chatzar, was dafka akula by shavuya. But in a case of divorce, in a case of divorce, the moment the divorcee, the moment the ex-wife becomes prohibited to her husband, which is in the case of Yisrael, once she gets remarried, or in the case, ultimately, again, of a coin immediately upon divorce, they cannot live in the same neighborhood with each other. Out of a concern, they may, they may, they may come to be intimate with each other. So we'll say, now listen to this. Okay, so here's the million dollar question. Me me. Who has to move? Who has to move? Okay, so now we establish once she becomes Asura, so they can't live together in the same neighborhood. Who has to move? So Tashman Desanya, he nitchis mi She has to move. She has to move literally again. She's displaced in front of him. He's not displaced in front of her. However, of course, again, if it's her chatzar, right? If it's her chatzar, then he's got to go. Say, here's the kasha. What happens if it's jointly owned property? I suppose it's obviously what's going to have to happen over here. Someone's going to have to buy out someone. But the shayla is. Who has the right to remain in the home and who has to relocate? So Tashma, he nitris mipanav. So we'll say, what did we say before? Right? How did this how did this discussion begin? The discussion began with a statement that she is displaced and not him. In other words, she has to move and not him. So what's the case? When we made that statement, what case are we referring to? But my askinon, if it's his chatzar, pshita. Obviously, if it's his property, then of course she's the one who has to leave and he's the one who's able to stay. Rather, it must be her chatzar? That can't be vatanya. We'll say if it's her chatzar, then obviously he has every right to stay put. 
Ki hai gavna. We'll say, must be that what? What's the case? What's the case where the Bryce has said before that she has to leave and he can remain in the home? It must be a case of jointly owned property. I see, see that in the case of jointly owned property, he has the right to remain and she has to leave. Tushimar says, maybe not. Dilma, the Agir Megar. Maybe not. Maybe at the end of the both side, that's the case of where they're renting. Right? Now remember, if they're renting, what does that mean? Neither has, an, has, has a greater active claim. Maybe that's the case where he gets to stay and she has to leave. So we'll say, my Havi Allah. So we'll say, so bottom line, what's Allah? So remember again, we have two definitive cases. What are the two definitive cases? Obviously, if it's his property, then what? He's staying. If it's her property, then what? She's staying. So there are two cases that we don't know about. Okay? Either a case of where they're renters, who gets to remain in the home and here, who has to leave, or when there's jointly owned property, who gets to stay? Obviously, they have to buy out the other party, but who gets to stay? So we'll say, this is actually incredible. And we'll say, the Gemara says, Tashma, listen to this. The Gemara quotes the Pasuk from Yeshaya. And the Pasuk in Yeshaya says, Hashem will cause you to wander the way a man wanders. So this is a punishment for Klal Yisrael. You're going to have to wander like the wandering of a man. What do you see from here? Va'amarav, gavra kashin say it is more difficult for a man to wander than it is for a woman. So we'll say it's actually a profound statement. Chazal seemed to feel that women have a better ability to adjust to new circumstances than men do. Right? Women have the ability to adapt to change better than men do. And after the dissolution of a marriage, where there's so much potential turmoil, so much potential change, let the man have the level of stability by remaining in the home, as this will allow him to rebound better. And the woman, who is more adept in change, ultimately, again, could move somewhere else. Fascinating. Good. So we'll say, now, now again, these halachas, of course, are more complicated than, than, than the way they're being mentioned over here, as there could be other factors at play as well. Someone's livelihood, family situations that, of course, go into all this. But if we're just looking at this as a property dispute, who gets to live in the house, these are the circumstances. Good. So we'll say more of the halachas of etiquette when a couple divorces. Let's say, over the course of the marriage, the husband borrowed from his wife's estate. Right? The wife has her own money. Let's say she inherited stuff from her father. He borrowed money from her from her father's estate. Now they're divorced. Now they're divorced. He has to pay her back. What's the halacha? He should not pay her back directly. Instead, he should pay her back through an intermediary, through a third party. And we'll say, what do you see in halach over here? What's happening over here is in these situations is we want to limit contact, unnecessary contact, out of a fear of intimacy. Out of a fear of intimacy. And I will say, now again, these are all talking about situations where halach alamaisa, she remarried, she's an Asian going. The idea being over here is we limit contact. We limit contact. Amr of says, and by the way, if, a, if an ex-wife and an ex-husband show up the two of them to din, we will not hear their case in a base din. In other words, it's not even appropriate for them to adjudicate cases directly. Right? There should be a third party who then represents them. Interesting. We excommunicate them. In other words, we don't want a level of connection 
between the ex-wife and the ex-husband. This is not talking about in terms of like co-parenting or things like that. The idea being they were concerned that if they're interacting with each other, ultimately again, this could lead to intimacy. We'll flog them. In other words, the idea being is we don't want unnecessary interactions that can't be handled by third parties. Amrav Nachman, we learned. But Medramur, when is this true? I was going to say, when is this true that the halacha feels the need to really place a separation between the ex-husband and the ex-wife? Only when a couple divorced after Nisuin. Why did I both say? Because after Nisuin, then what? They were intimate with each other. So because they were intimate with each other, there's a bond. And they, 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 they understand each other. And they understand each other's cues and behaviors. And there is a concern that halacha lemaisa, if there is still ongoing involvement between the two of them, they could reawaken that spark of intimacy, which again, if she's remarried, or ultimately again, he's a Kohen, is halachically problematic. But when they were divorced from Erosin, then it was like going back to, let's say, the debt repayment case, he can repair it back directly. Why? Shein libogaspa. Because there's no connection. I was supposed to say there's no connection. What does that mean? What does that mean? There's no intimate connection. Because remember, we're assuming from Erosin, there's no intimacy. They didn't live together as husband and wife. And therefore, we're not concerned about anything illicit happening. So Gemara tells a story. There was an Aros and an Aros, right? A man and woman, ultimately, again, who had Erosin, got divorced from Erosin, who came before Rava. Yosef Rav Adabar Masna Kamei. Uki So Rava went ahead and said, "Okay, I'm not a Jew in this case, right? I want, I want, I want there to be a third party that's representing one of you, because I don't want the two of you interacting together in the Din Torah." I but one second, Rav Nachman said before that this halacha only applies to a couple who divorced from Nisuin, not a couple who divorced from Eris. And Rav is incredible. So Rava, Rava said, I see that they're a bit familiar with each other. As in other words, I see that even though they got divorced from Erosin, it looks like they, they knew each other intimately. You both say, by the way, you saw this. You saw, like, where, where, where is the possibility for this to have happened? In Yehuda, right? We saw that again at certain locales where the Hassan and Kala were encouraged to be together during Erosin. It's quite possible. They were intimate with each other. Igadami, others said, ultimate version of the story. Lo uki that this Aras and Arusa came before Rav, and Rav did not set up a third party to adjudicate their dispute. Rav, how are you allowing to go ahead and adjudicate the case just the two of them? Okay, so we'll say, alternate version of the story, but same basic idea, which is ultimately... Rava perceived that they were very familiar with each other, and therefore Halach and Lamaisa wanted there to be a third party to adjudicate the case. Incredible. Says the Mishnah. This is a fascinating case. There are times, there are times, listen to this, where a person could give testimony as an adult based on something he experienced as a child. So in this case, you have an adult giving testimony, but he's testifying about something that he saw, that he witnessed in his childhood. What are some examples of this? So a person is, 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 is believed to say, this is my father's handwriting. 
Rebose, this could be a case of where the father passed away when he was a kid. The child was a kid. Right? So therefore, again, he's testifying about something that he saw as a child. Or, Zek Sav Yodo Shal Rabbi. This is the handwriting of my Rabbi. Zek Sav Yodo Shal Achid. This is the handwriting of my brother. Or he could say, Zohra Yisi Beplonis Sheyatza Behenuma Verosha Perua. I remember that so-and-so when she got married, Rachel, when she got married, she went out with her hair down, wearing a veil. Now we'll say hair down, wearing a veil, was how besulas, if one was a besula, that's how she dressed when she got married. Listen to this. A person is also believed to testify. I remember as a kid in school that Aaron would leave school, lit ba'l truma. And Aaron would leave school to go to the mikvah, right? Leave school to go to the mikvah and eat truma. Similarly, again, a person is believed to say, I remember as a kid, Aaron used to, I used to receive truma with us at the threshing, at the threshing floor. A person is believed to say, this field is a besapras. I must remember again, we know besapras is a field in which we know there was a grave, but we don't know the location of the grave because it was plowed over. A person is also believed to say, up until here we used to travel on Shabbos, which is another way of saying what? The Tchum, Shabbos boundary goes until here. Aval in, I say second wide line. Aval in Adam Neema Lomar, Derech Chaya Leploni Mamakom Azeh. So I'll say, listen to this, but a person is not believed to say that I remember as a child, so-and-so always had a rite of passage on this field. Why, Rabbi Why not? Because remember, saying that someone has a rite of passage is a monetary claim. You are not believed to testify as an adult based on something you saw as a child regarding a monetary claim. Or similarly, Maimad u Mispad Haliloploni the Makomaza. Similar again about say Maimad u Mispad means that Halokha the Maisa these we saw some white cotton. They used to have a custom that when taking the coffin, when taking the funeral beer to the to the cemetery, they would stop at certain places and eulogize the mace in those places. So an adult is not permitted to say that I is not believed to say I remember as a child they used to use this spot as for, for, for eulogies. Because I will say, once again, that's a monetary claim. What you're claiming is that field or that spot belongs to someone or doesn't belong to someone. So I will say, therefore, what you begin to see is something really amazing. So we're introduced to the concept that an adult is believed to go ahead and give testimony regarding certain things that he experienced as a child. But we see, but however, when it comes to monetary claims, that type of testimony is not believable at all. So let's go back. Let's go. Says the Gemara. Amra from Rabbi Yeshua, who she is gadol imo. So this is very interesting. From Rabbi Yeshua says, by the way, when we say that an adult is believed to go ahead and give testimony of something that he experienced as a child, that's assuming what there's someone else giving. Te- there's another adult giving testimony about the same thing along with it. In other words, that you have. A regular witness. You have a regular witness. So I have one regular witness to whatever it is. And then the second witness is me. But I haven't seen in my adult life. I saw it in my childhood. Saw it in my childhood. So something I saw in my childhood that I'm attesting to now. I could combine with another aid. And we could form a testimonial unit. So it says the Gemara. Here's what's interesting. The Mishnah begins with three of the same case. This is my father's handwriting. This is my Rebbe's handwriting. This is my brother's handwriting. I got it. You could attest the handwriting that you saw as a kid. You could attest in your adult life. Why are three different cases? I'll tell you why. 
I understand why I could testify about my father's handwriting, even though I only saw it in my childhood. I, because why? Because the son is around his father a lot. So he's able to see the handwriting. Aval Rabolo. But my Rebbe, who says I recognize my Rebbe's handwriting? Therefore, again, the Mishnah tells me, even Rebbe. Or maybe I can testify about my Rebbe's handwriting. Why? Because there's a certain level of reverence that a student has about his Rebbe, and therefore I'm going to make sure to tell the truth. But maybe that same level of reverence doesn't apply to a father. And maybe if it just said my father's handwriting, my Rebbe's handwriting, why? My father, because I'm around my father. My Rebbe, because... I have reverence for my Rebbe. But my brother, I don't have reverence of my brother for my brother, and nor do I have fear of my brother. So, I'm sorry, I should say it differently. I'm not necess- I don't have reverence or slash fear of my brother, nor am I necessarily always around my brother. Maybe I can't testify as to the validity of his signature. Kamash no. Oh, I will say, what's, what's the basis of this? The concept of Kiyom Shtar. So I will say, Mida Raisa. If you have a Shtar, if you have a Shtar, and that Shtar is signed, what's the Allah? You're good to go. The concept of Kiyom Shtar, of certifying documents, is a rabbinic concept. So because of that, the rabbis believed an adult to say, I recognize this signature from my childhood. That's, and since, since certification of documents is rabbinic, the rabbis allowed this lower threshold for testimony as well. So therefore, again, pretty much, so case number one is, as an adult, I could testify that I recognize any of these signatures, my father, my rebbe, my brother, from my childhood. Incredible. So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, Next case is that I can testify as an adult that I remember as a child, Rachel, when she got married, she went out with her hair down wearing a veil, indicating that she is a basula. So the Gemara says, my time, what's the reason for that? This is very interesting. The, the Chazaka is that the majority of women who get married are basulos. So because of that, what I'm really testifying to is just an affirmation to what we believe to be the default. So therefore, again, that's why, they, that's why I'm believed to testify as an adult what I saw as a child. Incredible. Third case. Third case. I testify as an adult that I remember as a child, my friend Aaron from Cheder, right, would go ahead and leave Cheder early, go to right, cut school to go to the mikvah, right? He went ahead and he, he left, he left Cheder to go to the mikvah, and then he went to eat Truma. So the Gemara says, Vidilma Evet Koinu, who says that makes Aaron a Kohen? Maybe he's what? Maybe he's an Evet of a Kohen. Because we'll say, what's that, huh? The servant, right? The Evet of a Kohen is permitted to eat Truma as well. So Truma, and we'll say, we just had this sugya. Truma consumption doesn't necessarily mean that a person is a Kohen. So we'll say, no, 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 because remember, where, where, where is Aaron? Where is Aaron before he's in Truma? Where is he? He's in Cheder, right? He's in school. So I will say, this reflects the Yerub Shobal. Yerub Shobal holds that you're not allowed to teach an Eved Torah. Can't teach an Eved Torah. Is that true? Vatanya, we learned, if a master borrowed money from his servant, or the master went ahead and made his servant an apotropos. So I will say apotropos means he put him in charge of something, right? He put him in charge of his estate. Or the Eved put on tefillin in front of his master. 
Oshekar Shlosha Psukim Beisach Neses, or the Eved read three Psukim in Shul, Harei Ze Lo Yatsa Lacherus. Now, what's interesting is all of these things seem to be demonstrative of freedom, right? Borrowing money from someone, becoming an apotropist, putting on tefillin, being the Balkore, these all look like the actions of a free man. So the Imar just says, just because the Eved is doing these things does not automatically mean that he is a free man. Now, why is this important for us? Because one of the examples is what? He's reading three psukim. He's learning Torah. So you see that an Eved can't learn Torah. The Torah says, no, no, no. Hasam de ikri Eved mi daito. Ki aminon de kanog be... I'm sorry. Ki aminon de kanog be minag banim. They will say, in the Braisa, the Eved is just reading psukim on his own. When Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said that you can't teach an Eved Torah, that means is he can't enroll the Eved in Yeshiva to actively teach him Torah, Ultimately, again, the way that a father would normally teach his sons. So therefore, I will say, in this case over here, where the childhood memory is that Aaron was in yeshiva with me. He was in, he was in yeshiva with me. He would leave yeshiva, go to the mikvah, eat truma. The fact that he's enrolled in yeshiva attests to the fact that what? He's not an Eved in conformance with the view of Rabbi Yoshua and Levi, that you are not allowed to actively teach an Eved Torah the same way that one teaches their children Torah. Beautiful. Litbal le'echal truma. And again, he would go to the mikvah. Again, same, same case, right? Aaron would leave yeshiva. He'd go to the mikvah teach truma. Betruma drabana. Now, I will say, so just to be clear, what does this testimony allow Aaron to continue to do? Teach truma drabana. Also, remember again, what you begin to see is that halacha l'maysa, halacha l'maysa, this, this construct of an adult giving testimony based on things that he saw in his childhood only works for Dine Drabana. So again, so therefore, based on this testimony, Aaron would be allowed to continue to eat Truma. What kind of Truma? Truma Drabana. And furthermore, again, I saw, right, he, another case, another case, I testify that as a child, as a child, Aaron used to come with us to the granary, right, to the granary to get Truma. Once again, who says that means that Aaron is a coin? Maybe Aaron is the slave of a coin. And that, that's why he was at the granary getting truma. Sigmar says, Sigmar says, We had this sugya. Right? We had this sugya. We had this in Yavamas. Right? So we'll say, This Mishnah reflects the opinion who says that we don't go ahead and give truma to an Ebed. Not in the presence of. It's not good English. Right? We only give truma to an Ebed in the presence of his master. Rabbi said, "Why? What are we concerned about? Because if you give truma to an Ebed, not in the presence of his master, people may erroneously think that what? He's a free man. Right? He's a free man. Not a free man. He's a coin. He's a coin. So therefore, Rabbi said, we never dispense truma to an Ebed if he's not with his master." We only dispense truma to an Ebed if he's with his master. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi says, natural, natural. Right? If a guy shows up at the granary, he can say, listen, if you believe me that I'm a Kohen, then give me truma because I'm a Kohen. And if you think that I'm the Ebed, then give me in the merit of my master. So I will say, Rabbi Yossi says, so fundamental my focus, Rabbi Huda says, we never give truma to an Ebed if he's not with his master. Rabbi Yossi says, yes, we do. And I will say, this yields another very important chilek. Listen to this. 
Now we'll say Rabbi Yehuda's locale, this is very important, Rabbi Yehuda's locale, if, they, if you ate truma, that was enough to certify your yichos, the, your yichos, which we'll say, now, and by the way, this all fits together. Therefore, again, therefore Rabbi Yehuda says, you cannot give truma to an abed, not in the presence of his master. Because again, truma consumption was a certification for yichos. Then In the locale of Rabbi Yossi, I will say, then what? They would not, just because you ate truma, that was not enough to certify your yichos. So both an incredible story. We saw this all in Yavamas. So Tana, Tanya, Amr Rabbi Yossi, Miyamai Lohi Aditi. This is very interesting. Rabbi Yossi said, you know, in general, I never gave testimony. I never gave testimony. And I will say that that, that, that came from a, a concern that am I, am I really able to convey objective truth? Because <coughs> one time what happened? One time it happened, I gave testimony. And I will say, we're going to see what was the testimony about, about this type of situation. And as a result of my erroneous testimony, they made me certified in Evet as a Kohen. Must one second. Hello, Sadat, really? That 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 happened that Abelazar Yossi gave 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 incorrect testimony and as a result they made an evident to a Kohen, to which the Gemara says, Hashta, Hashta, Mabah, and the Shah Sidikashwak maybe the call Yadam. I will say, if even the animals of Tzadikim, Hashem doesn't allow Averus to be committed through them. Rashi says, This is the Usasan Yavamas. This was the donkey of Pinchas Ben Yar. Most of the donkey of Rav Pinchas Ben Yara would not eat untithed produce. Incredible. We're not even So I'll say, if Averos don't happen through the animals of Tzadikim, then certainly what? Averos don't happen through Tzadikim themselves. Tzadikim Sorry. Rather, I'll say, what happened? Rav said, they almost, it almost happened that as a result of my testimony, they made an event into a coin. What happened? What happened? I'm going to say, I'll tell you what happened. So the Gemara says, Watch this. So, so I'll say, here's what happened. Rabbi Yossi said like this. I was in the city of Rabbi Yossi. I was in Rabbi Yossi. And I saw a guy getting truma. I saw a guy getting truma. Then I traveled to the city of Rabbi Yehuda. They asked me about this guy. They asked me about this guy. And Halacha Lamaisa, I said, Oh, I saw him getting truma. So I'll say, Watch this. In the city of Rabbi Yossi, in the city of Rabbi Yossi, they would dispense truma to even who? To even who? Avadim, even if they weren't in the presence of their master. Why? Why? Because in the city of Rabbi Yossi, they did not take truma consumption to be a certification of one's yichos. So sure, you're never a coin, here you go. So I will say, so that's what Rabbi Elazar Yossi saw, that's what he saw. But then he gave us information in the city of Rabbi Yehuda. But in the city of Rabbi Yehuda, I will say, what was that halacha? What was that halacha? They would not dispense, they would not dispense truma to an event not in the presence of his master. Why? Because in the city of Rabbi Yehuda, they used truma consumption as certification for yichos. So I so because of that, when he comes to the city of Rabbi Huda and he says, oh, I saw Aaron going ahead and eating truma. Okay, so I'm eating truma. Truma is enough of a certification for yichos. And they were ready to declare Aaron, ready to declare Aaron a Kohen. Even though Aaron was really what? Aaron was really an Ebed. I will say, so again, just absolutely fast. I will say, it's also an incredible, incredible Musar. Because I will say, during these days, 
when our primary goal is to go in and work on sinaschinom, and to go at, not, not work on bettering sinaschinom, but rather w- work on avoiding sinaschinom, right? To go ahead and really work on our avasinom. I will say, so many times relationship friction is caused because people see things in different ways, and people are dealing with two different sets of circumstances, two different sets of realities. Isn't it incredible? It's the same case over here. It's the same case. It's the same iron-eating truma. Just the difference is, in the locale of Rabbi Yossi, that's a meaningless act, so to speak. And in the locale of Rabbi Huda, it's in a powerfully, powerfully important act. Same act, same act, just two different perspectives. We have to train ourselves just because we see things in a certain way, A, does not mean everyone else sees it that way, nor does it mean that that's the unequivocal truth. And if we're able to work on ourselves to recognize that there are other perspectives, there are other points of view, there are other ways of viewing even the most important of issues, then we run the, a real possibility of creating meaningful Abbas within Kalal Yisrael. So we'll stop over here today. Shkoyach.